Today I'm going to be sharing from Philippians chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Just to give you a little bit of background to the Philippian letter, this letter from Paul. Um, you know, he planted this church on his second missionary journey um, with Silas, and uh, he went there as a result of a vision he had. They were asking for help in the vision, so he went there, planted this church, and this church began to support the Apostle Paul right from the beginning. It's the only church that is mentioned that actually um, supported his physical needs or his for financial needs. It's, other churches probably did, but this is the only one that's mentioned. This church was very dear to him because when he left uh, Philippi, he went into Thessalonica, and the church began right away to support him. And they supported him throughout his whole ministry from that point on until we get to this um, letter when he writes from a Roman, while well, he's a prisoner of Rome. He's in house arrest with the, with the prisoner or with the soldier chained to him. And this is kind of where he's writing this letter to this church that he loved. And this church, he viewed them as being partners with him in the gospel. He said, um, from, you, you have been in fellowship with me or partnership with me in the gospel from the first day, from right from the beginning. And so he, he loves them. And the, the first couple of chapters, if you read it, he, it's like a newsletter. He's, he's informing the church in Philippi what's happening with him, being in prison and all, sharing that I'm okay, I'm in prison, and thank you for sending the gifts and all of those kind of things. And then, But he also shares about the ministry, how even though he's in chains, the word of God is not chained. And even though he's in prison, the whole palace guard has now heard the gospel. So he infiltrated the palace guard. They would have never been, you know, exposed to the gospel, but he viewed it like this is God giving me the open door to share the gospel in the, in the, with the palace guard. So, you know, and this is, uh, this is the point I want to make in that, is that Paul viewed this church of Philippi as part of his team. Even though, you know, he had a team that was on the ground with him, this church, he viewed them as being part of his missionary team. You know, if you relate that to military, any military here? God bless a couple hands out there. Thank you. But to put one soldier on the battlefield, a low estimate from my research has been that it takes 12 people in the support kind of roles, communication, supplies, and all those kind of things to put one soldier on the battlefield. And I want to ask you, what would happen to the one soldier on the battlefield if he didn't have the 12 people supporting him? He wouldn't last long. He would die. He would get killed. And so that's, what, that's kind of Paul's view. So he, he, he says, uh, you know, he's looking towards a heavenly account from the work that he does, and the Philippian church was going to be a part of that heavenly reward as a result. And so um, Reliance Church is my home church, and so you guys are, are partners with me. The church is supporting me. And I'm really thankful in prayer. They're also helping provide for my physical needs and hopefully participation. 
There is a mission trip coming up. A bunch, uh, a small group from this church is going to come in a couple of weeks and help me facilitate a Serbian Pastors and Leaders Conference. Gabe and Sarah Dero, Joyce Portugal, Melody Baker, and, and Bob Brown. And if I miss anybody, I love you. But um, and so looking forward to Pastor Ted coming next year to help me with the Serbian Pastors and Leaders. I think Darius may be coming to the Philippines with one of his sons, and so. Um, as we move forward, hopefully we'll see you. We're going to have a little guest room, hopefully in Italy, so you guys are all invited to come to Italy. Let's just not at the same time. We just have to schedule it in. So, so there's three things in this. I'm going to blitz through this because there's way too much information here that I, um, to be able to get through it all. But um, there's three things I want to look at. One of them is human achievement that Paul's going to be writing about. Second thing is going to be giving up to gain. A little oxymoron for you there. And then the third thing, I couldn't really figure out how to describe it. I thought of all the sanctification process, reaching forward, um, uh, pressing toward is another thing I thought of. But when I put, put it all together, it's just the Christian life. And so the third thing is going to be explaining the kind of the Christian life. And the, the title of the message is hashtag reaching forward. And so the first thing, let's just say a short prayer because um, I'm going to get into the word. So, Lord, we open your word and we do it with reverence and a thankful heart that you have given us your word. We pray that your spirit would minister it to our hearts. And we pray that it would impact us and transform us from glory to glory to be more like Jesus is our goal, Lord. In, in, in his name we pray, amen. So verses one and two. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And so Paul begins by reaffirming things with the Philippians that he had obviously shared with them when he was there. He is warning them about a sect of false teachers known as the Judaizers. And so the Judaizers, they um, propagated this false kind of teaching that um, was really that Gentiles, in order for Christ to benefit the Gentile people, they had to really become Jews first. The Jews had no problem with the Gentile becoming a proselyte or converting to Judaism. And they would go under the rite of circumcision, and then they would begin to live according to the law of Moses. And so that's what the Judaizers taught, that a Gentile could benefit from Christ, but first he had to become a Jew. He had to be circumcised. He was a male, obviously. And then he had to live according to the law of Moses, and then Christ would benefit him. And Paul, of course, would have no part of that. He fought against that in his ministry, tooth and nail. And sometimes he was the lone voice for the Gentile fighting for the truth of the gospel. And so there's, it has been said that if a pastor only feeds the sheep without warning them, he only fattens them for the slaughter. And so with our ministry as ministers of the gospel, we need to feed the people, but you also need to warn them about the false teachings that are out there. And so I appreciate 
Reliance Church because we get fed, but we also get warned about various things. For example, Mormons today are trying to become more acceptable to mainstream Christianity. And I want to tell you that Mormons, they don't even like to be called Mormons because they want to be kind of more accepted. But Mormons worship a different Jesus. It's not Christianity. You know, and so I, I'm thankful for Pastor Ted, and the, he, when it comes to those things, we, he doesn't pull punches. Relentless, we're going to expose it for our protection, right? He says, beware the dogs. You know, Gentiles or Jews, strict Jews, not all Jews, but the strict Jews would refer, refer to Gentiles as dogs in a derogatory kind of sense. And so what Paul is doing now is says, these strict Jews... These false teachers, they're the dogs, right? So he turns, the, turns it on them. He says that they're evil workers. They're not just misguided Christians. These guys were propagating a, 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 a teaching that would damn people to hell, and that's evil. That's evil. That's just wrong. There's one way to salvation. Any other way is a deception propagated ultimately by the devil to deceive people to end up in eternal damnation. There's one gospel. There's one way to heaven. And, and then he calls them the mutilation. Verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So the we in this verse is the Jew and Gentile alike. We... Philippians, who is a predominantly Gentile church, and him, the Jew, we are the true circumcision. And in the Greek, there's a play on words. Mutilation comes from a Greek word, katanome, and circumcision, peronome. So they are the katanome, the, the ones who have mutilated, and that word means to cut off. It's kind of hard talking about circumcision. It's just awkward. Yeah, you know, but um, it's, it's a biblical concept, so I got we could you know, got to, yeah, anyway, movingon.com, reaching ahead, reaching forward. So. <laughs> um, but they are the, the mutilation. Their attempt at a right standing with God by this external thing it just ends up being mutilation. It doesn't do any good. We are the true circumcision. Paul writes to the Galatians, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, if you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And what he's saying is, Galatian people, you know the truth. And now if you stray to start beginning to earn by an external ritual... Your right standing with God, Christ is not going to profit you anything. You're drifting from the gospel. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In truth, And this is the underlying concept that Paul is, is writing to the Philippians. The spiritual aspect 
is something that wasn't just a New Testament concept. This spiritual heart kind of felt relationship was an Old Testament concept that should have been known to the Jewish people. I'm going to share three verses from the Old Testament to show you this. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, therefore circumcise the foreskins of your heart. So, you know, it's not saying that there's going to be an actual surgery in your heart to cut away some, you know. It's a spiritual concept. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And finally, Jeremiah 4, verse 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. God is after your heart. He's not after some external thing that you can do, some ritual that you can perform, some human endeavor, some human achievement that you can do. He wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you. Paul says rejoice in Christ Jesus. Thank God and rejoice in his accomplishments, his achievements, which we're going to celebrate in a minute, his life and his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood. Rejoice in that and have no confidence in the flesh or have no confidence in your human accomplishments in reference to salvation. Verse 4, Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And this is what Paul is saying. If you think that you are something special by what you do, well, listen to my story. If anybody could have confidence in the flesh, it would have been Paul. He was, verse 5 and 6, circumcised the eighth day. In other words, He was raised in Judaism from birth. He was raised in a Pharisee home who adhered to the strict, minute details of the law, of the stock of Israel. Many people traced their lineage back to to, um, Abraham, Father Abraham. You have the Arabs through Ishmael. They traced their lineage back to Abraham, the Edomites through Esau. But what Paul saying is, I'm of the stock of Israel. From Abraham to his son Isaac was the promise, to his son Jacob, whose name means heel catcher. And then God, through a cir- circumstances, got a hold of his life and changed his name from Jacob to Israel which means governed by God. I am of the stock of Israel. I came through his lineage of the tribe of Benjamin, a a warrior tribe known for their soldiers. Um, The first king came from Benjamin. Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, was the first one of the first tribes along with Judah to recognize David as their king. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. There are a couple types of Jewish people. There were the ones that spoke Hebrew, the conservative ones. And then there was another group that kind of um, maybe lived abroad or whatever. They didn't speak Hebrew. They They spoke Greek. They were influenced by the Greek culture. They were still Jewish. 
But Paul says, then there was obviously the Hebrew Jews would look, kind of look down on the, on the Hellenist Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews. But what Paul is saying, even in the Hebrew group, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You know, he sat at the feet of one of the famous rabbis, Gamaliel. He excelled beyond his fellow students. He was like the cream of the crop among the Hebrews. Concerning the law of Pharisee, at any given time in the nation of Israel, there were only about 6,000 Pharisees. And they were the, uh, the group, a group, the strictest group that had incredible influence in the life of Israel. They were a part of the Sanhedrin. There was another group, the Sadducees, who were much larger in number, but they were very much more liberal. He was a Pharisee, came from that strict group. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church there in verse 6. I'm going to show you a slide to kind of give you an idea. And, And there's a point in all of this that I'm making that I'll make in a second. This is his own testimony, Acts 26, verses 9 through 11. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Kill them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is who Paul was. Everything in him, his religion was his life. And anything that opposed him and his religion was his enemy. And the church, in his mind, was the enemy. Jesus, in his mind, was the enemy. Concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, he was blameless. As a Pharisee, he, I mean, Paul's human effort to have a right standing with God, his human achievement was unparalleled. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He was the guy that would count the seeds. Nine for me, one for God, to make sure that he got it right, that he tithed everything. He had prayer phylacteries. He would wake up in the morning, and he would go through the ritual of prayers. He had the thing on the forehead with strapped to his head. He'd put them on the arms. He'd have the prayer shawl. You know, he went through these things ritualistically, daily. He would do the ceremonial washings, making sure he washed his hands. He would bathe ceremonially. He would have the temple sacrifices his whole life. Everything was about achieving a right standing before God through religion, through works. And then one day on the road to Damascus, all that changed. Jesus appeared to him. And on that moment, at that moment, he realized, he realized he had got it wrong. Verses 7 through 9. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. 
Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. At that moment, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him, and and Paul said, who are you, Lord? And then he heard those words. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goat. At that moment, he realized all his human effort, all his human achievement to have a right standing before God was for nothing. It was of no value. It was absolutely rubbish. And at that moment, he gave all of that up. He didn't lose it. He willingly gave it up. And he began a new pursuit in seeking after Jesus Christ. Who are you, Lord? The desire of every Christian heart, isn't it? To know Jesus. That's why we're gathered together, right? It's not just to look at me, even though that's a blessing for you all. (laughs) Kyle's got nothing. (laughs) We gather together to draw closer, to press in, to know our Lord and Savior. There's, There's a difference between working hard and achieving things, you know, that... um, not working hard to achieve a right standing before God. Like, for example, uh, when I was a young man, I, I was a busboy at Palamesa Golf and Country Club uh, right up the road off of Highway 395. From the age of 14 through 18, I put myself through, kind of through high school as a busboy. And there was another busboy by the name of Dino. And it was between him and me who had become the head busboy. And I worked hard. You know, I wanted to show everybody that I was better than Dino. And I think I was better than Dino. But Dino got the job. He became the head bus boy because my mom was the manager. Yes. Thank you, mom. But, you know, we all work hard to be good at Like, I'm called to be a preacher now, so I want to work hard to be a good preacher. I, the, it's a gift, but it's also something that I can hone in, that I can improve. I can sharpen the tool. And, and so, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about working hard to earn a right standing before God. And at that moment, he realized that he couldn't do it anymore. And so his whole life changed. His pursuit changed to now to follow Jesus, verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. There's purpose in all these things, and we don't have time to go into each one of them. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And this word resurrection is translated from a Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I'll mess it up in any way. It means to... It's the only time this one particular word is used, and it means out-resurrection. 
And what he's saying is there is a future resurrection that we will all enjoy and look forward to. As we know in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day. But it also means that we're living out from among the dead right now. That there's a power that is available to us, the power of the resurrection. Now, I don't know, have you ever stopped for a second to think about the resurrection and the power that's in the resurrection? The Roman soldiers were trained to kill people. And they killed Jesus by crucifixion. He died on the cross. And just to make sure, the Roman soldier took his spear that he was trained with, and he rammed it up into the ribs and punctured his heart just to make sure he was dead. And out from the womb came water and blood showing that Jesus had already died. That was just a measure to make sure. So now Jesus is dead with a punctured heart. They put him in a tomb for three days and three nights. And then he is raised from the dead. And when you stop and think about that, the hair on your arm should start to come up. The hair on your neck should stand, right? The power that was revealed by God to raise a man from the dead, never to die again. And this is the out-resurrection that God wants us to come out from the dead and to begin to live that right now. We have a hope for the future resurrection, but we want to live the resurrected life now. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So now, a little bit of the Christian life. This is what it's all about to me. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul is writing this in a prison 25, 30 years after his salvation on the road to Damascus. And he knows he hasn't been perfected. He knows that there's room for growth in his life, and he's going to reach forward to continue to grow. He doesn't want to get stagnant. He wants to press on. But also there's something else that's happening in Paul's heart. He believes also, if you put all the stories together, that he's going to be released from this prison, that this isn't the end. And there's something in his heart that God has more for him. He gets released from prison. He's re, he's re arrested, and in about AD 67, he is killed by Nero, the Caesar Nero. He has five years, and through the tradition of the early church fathers and their writings, it seems like he made it all the way to his desire. He wanted to go as far as Spain, the extreme west, western um, 
side of the empire, and it seems that he made it in in these last five years of his life. But the point is, is that he's in prison. In his heart, he knows that there's a future. Scotty read from Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a future. He has thoughts of us, and they're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give us a future. Paul writes to the Ephesians, um, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the point is, God has a future for us. Amen? We all had a future last night that we would come to church this morning. Now it's this afternoon. So the future that we once had is now past. And we have another future coming up in a couple of seconds. One, two. And now that is past. There is a future that God has. And you have a future. Each person here has a future. How long it is, we don't know. But my question to you is, will you just have a future? Or will you experience God's future that he has for you? Because God may have things that he has prepared that you would walk in them, and you may not walk in them. You may miss it. I don't want to miss it, do you? And there are certain things that will keep us from experiencing God's future for our lives. There's positive things. Past spiritual achievements can keep us for moving in to future spiritual success. For example, when I got saved in 1985 in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, at the young age of two, obviously, <laughs> you know, just getting out of you know, those 70s, that 70s show, that's where I was raised in. You know, I, I remember coming and getting saved and hearing people talk about the tent days. I don't even know. I, I don't know. I was never in the tent at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. That wasn't a part of my, my history. You know, I got saved in 1985. God was doing some pretty incredible things then, I thought. I didn't think I missed, on, missed out on all God's incredible things. And I remember being a young man. I, be, I was excited about what God had for me in the future. You know, and I didn't want to kind of dwell on what God, what I'd missed in the past. Maybe now there's no future for me. No, God has a future for you. But if you dwell in what was, you may miss out what God has or what will be. And, and Reliance Church, you, we, are at a point where we have to be careful moving forward because God is doing a work at Reliance Church. And Pastor Ted just was sharing church planning. I'm so excited. I want to see what God does in Ireland. Maybe I can come visit my homeland at some point. 
But things are going to change. And, and your future in Reliance Church is not going to look like what it's been in the past. You understand that? What has been was great. And, you know, being around in ministry for years and all, you know, I've seen it before where as a church grows, you lose some things. You lose some of the intimacy. And the people that experience that intimacy can dwell and, well, we used to be like this. Well, you're not like that anymore. Get over it. I mean, I guess we could say anybody that was saved after 19, uh, yeah, 19, well, it's not 18. Anybody that was saved after, you know, 2017, you're going to have to find another church because we want to go back to the way we were. We love you, but not that much. <laughs> I have three kids. My brother and his lovely wife, Kim, is sitting here. They have about 100 kids. <laughs> they run up to me, and I just guess their name. Sometimes I get it right. <laughs> Sometimes they guess their names. They have, which one? You know. But, you know, you, 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 even in a family, you have a couple of kids. You have some intimacy. You get more kids. And, you know, who, I don't, who are you again, you know? But there's pros and cons. Like all the kids, they get more siblings to kind of fight with, you know? I can beat up more of my brothers and sisters, you know? So there's a dynamic there that a, a small family doesn't have. But, you know, so but the point is, is God has a future for Reliance Church, and we want God's future for Reliance Church, don't we? And so... It's our privilege to seek out what that future is together. Not only is it our privilege, it's our responsibility. God has a future. It's not going to look like your past. It's going to be different. How many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? Change? <laughs> Sorry. So you can't let your, your, your past keep you from moving into the things that God has in the future. There's some negative things, too. Failures. Anybody ever failed before? I don't have enough time to share you of my failures this year, more or less the last 30 years of ministry. I'll just share one of them. I had a basketball outreach um, my son was playing basketball, so we did an outreach. We had it on our heart to reach the youth. We reserved the coffee shop. We bought 10 Costco pizzas, and we waited for the basketball kids, all of the club, to show up. And we waited, and one kid showed up. That was my son. <laughs> and we had a great night of pizza, but it wasn't too much of a success. But we didn't give up. We started the On the Edge program for the next 10 years where God did a great work in hundreds of kids' lives, transformed hundreds of kids' lives, and that many of them are actually ministers of the gospel now. Another thing is unbelief. 
right? So you're going to come to a door that God has opened for you individually. God is going to single you out. He's going to do the Bruce Lee thing. He's going to kind of go. I mean, he, out of a whole group, you got, you know, hundreds of people in this room, but he's going to like, don't look away. I'm looking at you. I see. You know? And there's going to be a door open, and you're going to see what God wants you to do, and you're going to panic. I'm, I'm a prophet right now. You're going to panic because you're going to look at what God wants you to do, and you're going to look at yourself and your talents and your resources, and you're going to think it's impossible. You can't do it. And you're going to be stricken with fear. And fear is a good thing. It's a natural emotion that we have, and it keeps us safe. For example, I'm afraid to get hit by a Mack truck. Therefore, when I see one coming, I step aside. It's preserved my life to this day. And so when you see that task, you're going to see that there this, you're going to be stricken with fear. And you're going to, it's impossible. I can't do that. But the, the key word, it's a natural fear. But the moment that God opened the door and did the old Bruce Lee thing, He has given you the ability to do it. But you will not realize it. It will not be realized in your life until you step through that door. But too many people, me, myself included, have seen that door open and weren't willing to walk through at times because of the fear. We made our decision based upon our natural fear instead of upon faith and the, and the belief that God will meet us in the supernatural to accomplish what he's called us to do. Because the spirit of God inside you is not afraid of the task that God has given you. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You can do it. And the Holy Spirit is your cheerleader. Step, do it. We got this. Do not make your decision based on your natural fear. And then finally, sin. How many people have sinned? (laughs) I sinned once. Even that was my wife's fault, but... (laughs) She was in the first service, so I couldn't say it then. I can say it now. She's not here. (laughs) You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have failures, and the devil is going to use that to keep you paralyzed from moving into the future that God has for you. But God doesn't want you to be paralyzed. C.S. Lewis, listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. A Christian is not a man who never goes wrong, but a man is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble, because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time. Rise up, O man of God. Do not let the devil 
keep you down. God has a plan. God has a future for each one of us. And my future is a one-way ticket to Europe on Tuesday at 5.20 p.m. I still got a pack, by the way. (laughs) To go land in Budapest and to figure out what we're doing. I mean, I got some plans, some vision, but, I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions. People ask me how long I'm going for, and I say, well, I'm going there to have my ashes spread somewhere over there probably. I don't plan on moving back to America. I plan on visiting, and when I come back, I'm coming here whether you like it or not because you're my family. Even if I'm the redheaded stepchild, I'm still, (laughs) you know, I'm still in the family. But I want, I want you all, I want Reliance Church to continue on this great path, you know. God's blessed you with a, a great pastor. You know, Pastor Ted, and he, he's here, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, I respect him, and I don't say that lightly. You know, he's guided you. Here, look at the church. You moved into a new building. It's full. God's blessing You're all growing. You got some challenges as you grow. You got to figure it out, but you can do it. Corporately, you can figure it out because God has a plan. Seek it out. I will close with 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Hashtag reaching forward. Pressing toward the prize. God's prize. Amen.